So the travel um, has exposed me to, to a world that I never knew my first 18, 19, 20 years of life. It's wild because now I live in an airport. I live on airplanes. I never got on an airplane until I was in college my whole life. Talking to myself again Wondering if this traveling is good Is there something better doing We'd be doing if we could And all the stories we could tell And if this all blows up and goes to hell Well, I hope that we can sit back on a bed in some hotel Sing you all the stories we can tell It's going to take us live, but I'll lead you in. Um, Okay, so welcome to the Get Lost Podcast. I am your host, Joe Sills, a freelance travel writer with National Geographic Travel Channel uh, Bassmaster Magazine. If you want to get weird, we can do that. I'm here with the host of the number one radio show in America, a native mid-southerner, I guess. And um, one of the guys that I look up to coming into this business, his name is Gary Parrish. He's a national sports columnist for CBS Sports, and he is a citizen of the world. I, I, I feel that way. Mostly a citizen of uh, the general Memphis area in New York City. That's where I work, um, bouncing back and forth during basketball season. But uh, uh, you know, for the purposes of this podcast, I, I do travel quite often, both um, uh, for personal reasons. And like my wife and I just got back from Las Vegas uh, for a weekend, uh, but mostly for professional reasons, which has taken me not only all over this country, but um, in, you know, to Europe and, and, and many places around this world. Were you once on the deck of an aircraft carrier for work? I was. That was a, a basketball game several years ago. I want to say maybe November 2011. Uh, Michigan State and North Carolina on an aircraft carrier just off the coast of San Diego. It's actually the aircraft carrier that they took Osama bin Laden's body to see to, oh, wow. to give it proper burial, which is rapid and dumping into the sea it it was dumped off of this same aircraft carrier where we play this basketball game and uh, most famously uh, president obama and first lady obama were both there as well they were sitting right across from me like uh you know right across i was here on the court they were directly across from me on the court so that was a, a a cool experience really pretty because you're out in the bay sort of looking back at downtown San Diego. It's really beautiful. Um, they, they stopped doing that because they couldn't figure out how to make the courts not slippery. Right. So they stopped the games altogether. But I was at the first and one of the only ones. That, that kind of makes sense. I mean, you're out on the ocean. It's probably not the best place to play basketball. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think they thought it through completely. It was also windy. And, you know, uh, college basketball players aren't used to playing outside. Right. I mean, they might have grown up doing it that way in certain um, situations. But, um, like, the wind could actually affect your jump shot. So it wasn't the most beautiful uh, basketball game in terms of uh, play that I've ever uh, witnessed, but probably the most beautiful in terms of, hey, take a look at this. It was really nice. Did you want to tell people how you got into writing about sports in general? Yeah. Um, so I, I grew up in, in a place called Horn Lake, Mississippi, which is essentially a suburb of, of Memphis, a, a middle-class suburb of Memphis. Um, 
and uh, I went to public school. You know, my parents aren't... Um, my parents are both great and both um, hard workers. They're both retired now. Uh, they weren't in this industry. Um, I'm the first college graduate in my family. Um, so I, I, it wasn't like I was guided into this. It's not the type of thing that most people I grew up with do. It's not the type of thing that anybody in my family had ever done. But um, it all started with a love of sports. You know, I grew up, I, I loved baseball. I loved uh, basketball. Uh, loved college football. Those three sports mostly, college basketball, NBA, uh, Major League Baseball and college football. And I realized probably later than I should have, but, uh, but early enough that I'm never going to play sports for a living. Um, you know, I'm five foot seven, not, not that talented. But well, professional bowling. <laughs> maybe I could be a professional bowler, but it, there was nothing I ever did uh, in a bowling alley that suggested that was likely either. So I said, okay, um, it was really simple, a, a bit naive. I said, uh, I, okay, I, I love sports, but I'm not going to be good enough to ever play them, but maybe I can cover them and write about them. And I was in AP honors courses. And I'm not really sure what that means at a public school in Mississippi. <laughs> yeah, but, right. but, you, you could read. I could read, right? Good. Um, so, uh, but my teacher said, hey, you have a talent for writing. And I didn't know if that was true or not. And I'm not sure if they were right or not. But that is something I heard. And I was like, okay, well, then I'll just be a sports writer. I remember, um, you know, they'd have the, these annual beauty pageants at the high school, right? It was called Miss Challenge. And, okay. and I would uh, I'd escort my girlfriend in it. And um, what they would do is introduce all the contestants and all of their escorts. And it would be like, you know... Uh, Susan is a sophomore, um, you know, the daughter of so-and-so and so-and-so. She plans to go to Virginia and study law. You know, everybody had these right. things. Right, everyone's a doctor or a future right. lawyer. Yeah, and then, and then, you know, fast forward three years, and Susie's at uh, Northwest Mississippi Community College, like, you know, becoming a school teacher, which is great. I'm just saying yeah, right. uh, almost nobody did what it is they said they were going to do, except me. I, I said, I'm going to go to the University of Memphis and be a uh, and major in journalism. And that is exactly what I did. I went to Memphis, majored in journalism, graduated high school in 95, graduated college in 99. And then immediately, even before I was technically finished with college, got hired at the Commercial Appeal. And uh, I was there for six, seven years, maybe. And then hired at CBS in summer of 2006 when I was 28, 29 years old. And I've been there uh, ever since. So that's 13 years now, it's flying by, but uh, my job has morphed into much more than what it initially was. All I wanted to do was be a, uh, somebody who covered a, you know, a college basketball team for a newspaper. Now my job is a radio host, uh, television analyst, podcast host. I still write, but writing, as weird as this is, is, is the least part of my job it, you know, right now. I am technically right. a, a television employee as opposed to a dot-com writing employee. Um, so it's all worked out, not necessarily in the way that I predicted, but in a way that, if I'm being honest, is probably better than I imagined. So going from small-town Mississippi to Memphis, that's kind of one thing. A, a lot of people make that drive mm -hmm. every day. Um, but you do that for a little while. You get a job at the Commercial Appeal, which I, I can tell you, as a writer at a small-town newspaper in rural Tennessee, that was big time. Sure. That's a big-time job. Um, but now you're on another level. And tell me, has your perception of the world changed from the time you decided, hey, I'm going to be a journalism major to today? Well, I tell you, I grew up in Memphis, basically. You know, I was um, always in Memphis. You know, that's where we shopped. That's where we went to dinner. If you had a date, that's where you took her. Um, so, like, going to college at Memphis was never, like, this weird thing, except I was mostly, for the first time, around different people. 
So like even when I went to Memphis as a teenager, I was still with people from Horn Lake, people right. from DeSoto County. Suddenly I'm at Memphis and I'm surrounded by people from, you know, all over the country, but even White Station, you know, you find out it's just a different world. Right, yeah. And I didn't realize how crazy some of the stories I had in high school were until I would retell them to people, even from just like White Station, Kyerville, but certainly like outside of North Mississippi, and they'd be like, you did what? Your are, friends were doing what? Are you talking about field parties and that sort of yeah, deal? Just all sorts of things. Like just any, I'd, I'd tell this story and I'd have these people looking at me like, where did you grow up? And I'm like, 20 minutes from here. But 20 minutes from here was really a different place with different people and different types of people. And then, of course, I get the job at the Commercial Appeal, um, and you're exactly right. I was fortunate. I've my career is very unique. Every once in a while, you get asked to go speak to journalism classes. And the first thing the professor wants you to do is tell your story. Like, hey, tell, how did you go from this to that? And I, I'm happy to tell the story. But then I also say, that's probably not going to be your story. Like, I've never worked at a small newspaper. I've never worked at a local television station. I've never worked at a radio station and done anything other than speaking to the microphone. I've never worked at a television network and done anything other than talking to the camera. And so... None of this is normal. Um, if you go into television, you're probably going to start working at a, a in a local market, small market, carrying around a camera and like doing your own shots and cutting your own whatever. I've never had to do uh, any of those things, so I've, I've been very fortunate that I've been I've had good jobs. Like every job I ever had, I was like, God, this is as good as it ever gets. This is pretty great. And then I I would fortunate enough to get a better job, and then here I am. But I immediately started traveling for work. Right. And, you know, now not only do I travel for work, I basically live in New York City half the week, every week, four months a year. Um, my schedule is I, I fly, if you're ever in the Memphis International early on a Monday morning, I'll see you there. I, I have a 6 a.m. flight to LaGuardia every Monday morning. I come home on Thursday. Um, I'm in studio every Tuesday and Wednesday night. So I'm, I'm gone every week, at least that. And then some weeks, like this week, on Thursday, I'll fly home. On Friday, I go to Reno, Nevada. Saturday, I've got Nevada-New Mexico basketball game. I'm doing the sideline reporting there. Sunday, I'll fly back home to Memphis. Monday morning, I'll go back to New York. Then I'll be in New York for like 13 straight days. So the travel um, has exposed me to, to a world that I never knew my first 18, 19, 20 years of life. It's wild because now I live in an airport. I live on airplanes. I never got on an airplane until I was in college, my whole life. How old do you think you were when you first got on a Like 19, 20, 21 maybe? And was that experience mind-blowing? Well, it was, well, yeah. I mean, you just like. Terrifying? It wasn't terrifying, but it was, um, I don't know. It's just, uh, it was, it was, I had, I had different thoughts. One was, man, look at me, I'm on an airplane. The other one was like, why have I never been on an airplane? You know, like right. my children have already been on an airplane. They've all got their Delta Sky Miles numbers, and they've got status. I mean, they're on airplanes all the time. It's nothing to them. It's just, again, I, I was raised in a different way than my children are being raised. Um, so I started experiencing all these new things and seeing different parts of the world. And I really do think that because now I still have some of my closest friends are people I grew up with who still live in Horn Lake in, or in the area. Um, but they have vastly different worldviews than I have. And it, it doesn't mean that they're wrong and I'm right. It just means that we, we're different. 
once upon a time, we were probably pretty close to similar. And yet now, because of the things that basketball, specifically basketball, has exposed me to, because basketball players um, largely come from not great backgrounds. And that's not anything other than just a fact. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm around these I see where they come from. I go where they came from. Like and what that, kind of places are you talking about for somebody who's, who's got no idea? Um, okay. So my first job at the Commercial Appeal was to cover high school sports, which also exposed me to a lot of stuff. Like I'd be at Melrose High School. I'd be in Orange Mound. I'd be at Tresvent. I'd be at Booker T. Washington. These aren't places I've ever been. They're not places... Um, people who look like me typically go. These are places in like Three Six Mafia songs. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and and it just sort of you you're exposed to. Even though I grew up 15 minutes from these places, it, it might as well be on another planet. And so you realize that life isn't as easy for some people as it has been for you. That's that was my first impression. Right, was that. You know, and I didn't grow up rich or even, like I had, I had two parents that loved me. We had a nice home, nice yard, but like we, I didn't grow up rich. I was very comfortable, middle class, but I didn't have a proper appreciation for how I grew up relative to how so many people, mostly minorities, are growing up just around me, just 10 minutes from me, 15 minutes from me. So I would go to, you know, Booker T. Washington. And I'd see where Torian Moy, who was a basketball prospect from here, where he grew up. I knew his story. Andre Allen. I've known him since he was 13 years old. He went on to play at the University of Memphis. I know his story. And there was one time where, at some point, either while Andre was playing at Memphis or afterward, he got arrested. It was a story. He's like on the news. Andre Allen arrested. I don't even remember what it was about. Maybe just possession or I don't remember. But it was. And I remember people saying the reaction from. A, a, a certain segment of the population was, how could Andre Allen get arrested? You know, he had the whole world, and how did how did he slip up? How could he fail a drug test um, and get suspended from the Final Four? And my thing was, and I remember saying this on the radio, if you knew Andre Allen's story, knew where he came from, you wouldn't be saying, how did he get arrested? You'd be saying, it's amazing it took this long to get arrested. That that's all he knows. It's all. It's the only life some of these people know where they come from, and so it, it made me, if nothing else, m- much more empathetic um, towards the circumstances that people um, are often born into. My kids, and I talk to my children about this. Um, my kids have two parents who are married, live in the same home, love them, love each other. Um, they have access to everything you could possibly think of to to give you an advantage to succeed in this world. And they're still in the community you grew up in, Horn Lake. Well, I, we live in Hernando now. Okay, close, it, close enough. It, it's it's close. Uh, it, it's it's a different place, but it's close. Right. Um, they grow up on a street of presumably nothing but college educated people who are doing okay in life. Okay. Um, if my kids need tutors, they got tutors. Their mother's an educator with a master's degree. She doesn't. Um, teach anymore. She owns a children's boutique, but she has a background in education. I tell my kids all the time: if you mess, if you don't succeed in life, they've got college funds. You know, they they've got everything they need to succeed. Right. If you don't succeed, you really you did this. You messed up in some way. Basically, and I, I've heard 
John Calipari once talked to his players about this when he was the coach at Memphis, and I've used it every once in a while, even with my own children, because I think it's good. He, he, he would say, and John would be talking to his players who come from rough part of Baltimore, rough part of Detroit, rough part of Chicago. He would say, when you were born, he'd start, he'd say, my kids, when my kids were born, if there's 10 doors they could walk through in life, nine of them got good things behind them. There, but there is one where you like, you, you can't walk through that one. That's drug addiction. That's, uh, you know, all, whatever. But, but the odds are in their favor. There's like nine doors and there's good stuff behind those nine doors. You got to really work hard to find the wrong door. But with some of these kids that, that play the sport that I cover for two decades now, um, it's exactly the opposite. When they're born, there's nine, ten doors, and nine of them got bad stuff on the other side. They can find a way out, but it's not easy. And it's why um, I, I'd like to think I'm a little more well-rounded than a lot of the people I grew up around because I've seen more of the world. Uh, you know, I've, 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 I've been around a, a different cast of characters. I've been around people who grew up in different places, who think different ways, um, I've seen this country in ways that maybe some other people haven't, and it allows me to have, I'm not even saying a better view on the world, but a more wide-ranging view on the world, and, and I, I'd like to think that, that I'm better for that. Let's talk a little bit about New York. You're there basically uh, half of the week, you said, mm-hmm. more or less. Um, while you're there, do you ever think back while you're walking down the street, like, wow, this is so different than Horn Lake? Well, what I think about sometimes is man, how did I get here? Like, I still have a real appreciation for my career. Um, and I'm not trying to pretend like, you know, some of it's just, I've been lucky. I, I, I'm not trying to even be humble. Like, some of it has just been luck. Um, when I got the job at the Commercial Appeal, um, I mentioned that I got it before I even technically graduated from college. I wouldn't have, except for one of the prep writers at the paper, like two weeks before I was graduating. Uh, got fired because wow. he got no argument with a sports editor. Wow. And then I was just sitting there, and they were like, well, we got to hire somebody now. Let's hire Gary. But without that incident, they wouldn't have needed to hire somebody. They probably would not have hired me. So, like, that's just luck. I mean, it's just right place, right time. When I got the job at CBS in 2006, um, the, the finalists for the job were me. Um, I was at the Commercial Appeal. Jeff Goodman, who was at Fox Sports at the time. Pete Thamel, who was at the New York Times at the time, and Mark Slaybaugh, who was at the Washington Post at the time. What are you doing in that conversation? Well, that's what I thought as well. Right. Um, and he, but here's the truth. Pete Thamel got offered the job. He turned it down, stayed at the New York Times. And then they offered, I was the next in line. Um, if Pete, and I, you know, Pete and I are good friends, so I, I, I would joke with him, like, you, you changed my life by staying at the New York Times. Because yeah. I, I don't think I would have stayed at the Commercial Appeal. I had turned down other offers to stay at the Commercial Appeal, at, but I wouldn't have gone to CBS. And if I don't go to CBS, then I don't become the television part of this. And so all of this, it, it, some of it I, I, I hope is rooted in talent and hard work, but some of it is also just luck, and that's not lost on me. But to circle back to your point, um, I never go too long without having a real appreciation for you know, flying to New York. And I'm not trying to brag, but I'm just trying to give you proper context. First class, car service picks you up at the LaGuardia, takes you to a five-star hotel. 
you're eating nice meals, you're getting as silly as it sounds, your makeup done, you're in a, like, you're at CBS, the CBS Broadcast Center, you're on national television. Um, I do have moments where I go, wow, how did a public school kid from Horn Lake, Mississippi get here? Um, you know, and, and yeah, when I'm walking around the city, honestly, my hotel has a, my hotel is at, at, at Broadway and 50, 54th and Broadway. So I'm right there. Yeah. Like, in the li- yeah, in the heart. The, the, right across the street, literally across the street from where I stay is the Ed Sullivan Theater, where the Colbert Show is done. So there are times. Letterman I, before that, right? Letterman before that and yeah. Ed Sullivan Show before that. And so there are times, it's not so much walking around, but honestly, just like sitting in my hotel, looking out the window at New York City. You know, my, my window, um, well, depending on where the room is in the hotel, but last week when I was there, the window was looking out to, um, toward Times Square. And so you're just seeing all the lights. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. It's a cool place to spend a lot of time. And I do think it's had an impact on my worldviews. Because, and I'll tell a quick story, um, to, to the extent that I'm capable of telling a quick story. Um, You're always brief. Everyone knows this. <laughs> right. Um, it struck me on, the elect- on election day last, the last presidential election, because I was in Mississippi um, getting ready to go vote, but watching CNN um, as the coverage started early in the morning, as, as it would. And President Trump, then um, nominee Trump, was voting in New York City. All right, so I'm getting ready to go vote in Mississippi, and he's voting in Manhattan. Right. And I remember, you could probably find this on YouTube, he's going to vote, and he's getting heckled and booed and yelled at like he's the devil voting. in. He's in his hometown, and they hate him. Now, clearly, there's an audience for him because he's the president of the United States. Right. But in his own hometown, they hated. He was getting booed. He could not win his state, wouldn't even come close to winning his state. And then I went and voted. And all it was was Trump everywhere. Like, I, I, if there were 100 people at the voting precinct at that moment when I was there, I'd say 95 of them were voting for President Trump as opposed to Hillary Clinton. I was very much in the minority. And I thought that was so interesting that I'm at my home and, and nobody here agrees with me. He's at his home and nobody there agrees with him. But everybody there would agree with me and everybody at my home would agree with him. And it's just um, a byproduct of there are certain parts of this country where people, they all love their husbands, they all love their wives, they all love their children, they all love their country, they all, they're not that different in the way they operate on a day-to-day, um, on, a, on, a, on a day-to-day basis, but it, completely different world beliefs based on very little more than, than where they grew up. Um, and I thought that was fascinating, where I, 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 I was, I, was I, I, I remember thinking, if he were going to vote where I'm about to go vote, it, they would bow down to him. And yet, in that place, the place he actually calls home, um, they couldn't be more against him. I thought that was fascinating. And it's a, it's a real lesson, I think, for all of us. And I'm not trying to pretend one's right, one's wrong, although I, I clearly have my opinions. I just think it's fascinating that 
even in a country where we have so much in common, there are certain parts of our country where they're both filled with good people, both filled with people who are trying to do good things, but their worldviews are just so vastly different. And you think that's, that's a byproduct of you coming from the same place um, that everyone else in your hometown came from, but you are one of the people who saw a larger portion of the world. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I don't think there's any um, doubt about that. I mean, I, I, first and foremost, I would say that if, if you don't evolve over time, then there's probably something wrong with you. Like, I, I don't, I don't, when I was 20, I thought I knew exactly who I was and what I believed and what mattered to me and what I, what didn't matter to me. By the time I was 30, it was like, oh my God, what was I thinking? And then I was confident. I had everything figured out. I know who I am, know what it cares about, what I care about. And then I was 35 and I was like, well, that was stupid. And I really do think I'm 42 now. I really do think around 35 I had a good grasp for what mattered to me and what didn't, what I believed in, what I don't, um, what I stand for, what I don't. Um, because when I look back now to 35, I sort of, everything's pretty much the same in terms of my worldviews. Um, but 35 was vastly different than 30. 30 was way different than 20. So that's always my advice to my younger friends. Like, don't be so sure of yourself because you don't know. Um, to The way you feel about Anything today could be vastly different 10 years from now. Beyond that, if you don't evolve, um, I do think that either you're just stuck in a, you're stuck in a place or, or you, there's something fundamentally wrong with you. And so I've evolved a lot. And I do think a lot of it's got to do with travel. And I think a lot of it's got to be do with my job. My job allowed me to, to, to travel. And then beyond that, we've also invited two um, exchange students into our home. We had a... a, a young woman from Germany who's like a daughter to us. She spent a year with us. And a young woman from Italy who's like a daughter to us. She spent a year with us. And I wanted my, my sons to be exposed to different cultures. And they were. And I think they're better for it. But we've subsequently been to Italy, been to Germany, you know, been to all, all different parts of Europe. And so we've exposed ourselves to different cultures. And uh, I, I sometimes get not mad or frustrated, but roll my eyes a little bit. I'll have friends that I grew up with who we were best friends when we were kids. And like, and I still love them to pieces, but we just, and you're reminded of this on Facebook every day, you know, in this moment, there's a lot of Facebook arguments about walls and I don't get involved in them just because it, I don't have the time, frankly, but I'm watching these people that I live two doors down from or, um, uh, you know, grew up with, and they have views on this subject that are just, like, confusing to me. But they feel very strongly about them. And if I were to jump into those arguments, they would immediately say, oh, well, you've changed because, and I hear this sometimes, because my jobs have allowed me to, have, you know, I'm on the radio every day on a successful radio show. I'm on television. Like nobody else I went to school with does these things. And so sometimes my old friends will say, you've changed and you think you're to this or that for us. And it's not that at all. It's that I, I have changed. But it's not because I'm on radio or on television or because I've had a successful writing career or any of that. Stuff. I've changed because I've seen the world. And I'm not stuck in the place where I grew up. I promise you, some of my best friends from high school, they've done very little than, um, little more than um, 
stayed in the area, go to New Orleans every once in a while, go to uh, Destin every once in a while, and that's the extent of their travel. Um, and that's fine, but I do think that when you grow up in a certain place where everybody believes a certain thing and you really don't operate outside of that circle, you're going to get, you, you get stuck in, in a place sometimes. And it doesn't mean it's the worst thing in the world, but um, it is an explanation for maybe why you haven't changed much over the years, and perhaps I have. Right. I'll give you a quick example and then one question before you wrap up for you. Um, but you talk about having friends back home in a, in a small town. Um, and, and my friends are very much the same way. Um, you know, these are people that grow up with, you do stupid things with as sure. a kid, ride around in the back of a four-wheeler with <laughs> beer and guns and, like, ter- terrible ideas. Right. I, don't, I would not <laughs> recommend any of this right. now, like, knowing what I know now. Um, but there was a time after college where I said, hey, like, you know, you guys are, are great, but I just can't hang out with you anymore. And, it, and it's not because I, I think ill of you or I don't want to hang out with you. It's just, like, a lot of the words you say will bring up, you know, the N-word, for example. Oh, I grew up with that. I grew up with that word. I mean, I, like, I didn't, I'm not going to pretend I grew up saying that word all the time. I'm also not going to pretend I never said it. Yeah. But I'm going, you know, but it was a very normal word where I lived in, in, in North Mississippi. And every once in a while, when I am around some of my old friends, and I love them to pieces. Like, they, I've had great times with them. And they're good people um, on, a, on a fundamental level. Good flawed people, right? Um, like I'm, I, I, I'd like to. I'm flawed too. Like I'm not trying to pretend like I'm got everything figured out. I don't. Um, but every once in a while, that word will still just very casually pop yeah. into the conversation, and it. And perhaps this is wrong of me. I, I don't speak, stand up, and say that's enough. You know, I just sort of like, all right, you let I, it slide. I, I'm just gonna. I'll be out of this situation in five minutes. So. No sense in causing a fight. Because it really might cause a fight. That's the other thing about where I grew up. Like, they, they really might fight you over something. Yeah, and they have guns. <laughs> and they have guns, right? So, um, yeah. Um, I, I've never, like, made a conscious decision just detached from people for any of these reasons that we're discussing. But I find myself not anxious to be in those circles anymore. Yeah. Not because I didn't have fun times with you once upon a time, or man, when I see your kids on Facebook, it's not awesome to see that they're doing well, but like you and I probably just don't think the same way about certain things, uh, anymore. There you go and pull a Hulk Hogan in the middle of the conversation and it just changes your outlook. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I don't even blame them so much because they just, in some cases, they don't know any better. You know, it's, 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 nobody around them is that different than them. And that's where I do think um, first going off to college, even if I didn't go far away, but then having a job that allowed me to travel, having a job that largely put me around people who came from different backgrounds than me. That It'd be d- totally different if I were covering golf, right? Yeah. Um, but I cover basketball. And so I'm, I'm, I'm constantly around and learning about people who came from damn near impossible situations. And when you understand how light, how light, how how difficult life can be um, for people from birth, um, then I, I think it helps you. It helped me. Maybe it doesn't help somebody else, but it helped me be. Um, uh, uh, it gave me a better worldview, I think, to appreciate the way I was growing up, the way I grew up, to try to raise my children in a, in a way that allows them to, to be empathetic toward other people because just because they're growing up in a certain way doesn't mean that somebody 
five minutes away, 10 minutes away is going up the same way. And when you hear about somebody who, um, to circle back around to the Andre Allen thing, like there's 10 doors. He had nine doors with bad stuff. Um, it's, it's a harder life. And I think sometimes people who grow up a certain way lazily when they hear about somebody who doesn't have a job or they hear about somebody who had two kids before they were 17 or they hear about somebody who's living in poverty. It's just a, well, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and, yeah. and like, hey, I got a job. Why don't you go? Well, what if you don't have boots? How do you pull yourself up by the bootstraps if you don't have boots? You know, you know. There's a, a study you could probably find, and again, I know I'm being long-winded, but I, I thought it was interesting. That's why I had you in. This must work for me. Right. Um, there's a study I read about a long time ago, several years ago. But basically, they could ask just very simple, basic, general questions of a person, and they could pretty much figure out what you were going to be in life. There are exceptions to every rule. You know, President Obama comes from a single-parent home and became president of the United States. You know, there are exceptions to – there's also a private school kid who um, grew up with two parents who are doctors who is in jail right now for, like, a, a heroin addiction. Like, there's exceptions to every rule. But what they would do is they could say, okay, when you were born, were your parents married or not? Were your parents over 25 or under 25? Were your parents college educated or high school educated or high school dropouts? That's all they needed to know. And if you – had two parents who were older when they had you, both college educated, married. I thought you're going to have a good life I, or a successful life. Right. You've uh, got nine doors that go the right way. Exactly right. But if you were born to teenage parents, one of whom graduated high school, the other one's a high school dropout, they weren't married, you got a tough life, probably. Doesn't mean you can't escape it. I mean, as long as we're being honest, I have a niece who was born. Um, to a teenage mother and a teenage father. My brother was barely out of high school when he had a, a daughter. And she's doing great. Um, she's in college now. She's successful. She's smart. Couldn't be prouder of her. But even she says, because she turned 20 a couple weeks ago, and one of the things she was proudest of, in a joking way, but she was like, I beat the statistic. Yeah. Because if you're born to a teen mother... You're likely to be a teen mother. That's what studies show. And she was very happy. You can tell where the bar is, pretty low. Like, I'm not ever going to be a teen mother. But she recognized she had to break a cycle. And so um, I, I do think that that's important. If all of us could understand that, that some of us are born with tons of advantages and others not so much, I think uh, yeah, we'd be a little more understanding. I think the last question I have for you kind of talks about cycles. Um, for people that are in Horn Lake, Mississippi, or Brownsville, Tennessee, and they're good fundamental people. Sure. Um, what would you say to them when they say, "Oh, I don't, I don't want to go to a big city, man. That's that's dangerous. That's scary." Uh, what's your advice for those people? Well, um, the the truth is, even with most big cities, even the ones that are statistically dangerous, that stuff all happens in pockets of the city. Um, you know, like Memphis is a dangerous city um, statistically. But, you know, the, all the murders happen at the same place. Sure. Or, in the, or, like, there's, like, I, there's... In general. In general. Every once in a while, like, you'll get somebody popped downtown. Every once in a while, somebody popped in East Memphis. But in general, 
the the bad stuff happens in confined little pockets of impoverished parts of the city. And that's true in Chicago. It's true in Detroit. You know, people always um, like to talk about, you know, Chicago's dangerous. You go there, it's like being in a war zone. You go to certain parts of Chicago, it's like being in a war zone. I was in Chicago last month. Yeah. Wasn't like being in a war zone. It's like being in an amazing city. I was in a nice hotel, eating at nice restaurants, you know. Um, so I just, I reject it. I, j- I think it's um, a simple, and I don't mean to, to, to use words that perhaps are offensive, but um, I think it's a dumb way to, to look at the world. Um, all cities have their issues, but, I, you know, I am consistently in all of the biggest cities in the world, not the world, the country at least, but I've been to a lot of the biggest cities in the world, and in the parts of the cities where I'm at, I've never felt like I'm uh, in any kind of, of danger. I walk around New York um, at all hours of the night. I've never even seen in Manhattan. I've never even seen anything that would be um, slightly troubling. Um, there Maybe some, like, food trucks. <laughs> yeah. street, street food. Yeah. Now, you spend enough time in a subway, you'll see it. Uh, some wild stuff. But I, uh, I reject that. I, I hear all the time people are, um, you know... You know, New York's this, New York's that. New York's awesome. And I, I you know, I, I, I think, I, I wish more people where I'm from had the opportunity at a young and influential age to do some of the things I've been able to do. Because perhaps, again, I'm not going to use the word, would make them better or smarter. But it would just give them a, a better worldview. Because, again, and this is true in your hometown and mine as well, a lot of the people who you grew up with, they still live right there. They've never been anywhere. They've never really aspired to go anywhere other than that. And it doesn't make them bad people, it, but it does make them have a pretty narrow view of the world that I think impacts um, their everyday life. Yeah, I, I would agree. And for anybody out there from Horn Lake or Brownsville or any small town anywhere, I would say do yourself a favor, man. Get on Google Flights. Go somewhere, right. even if it's Vegas, even if you're just right. hopping a cheap flight, you know, on Allegiant over to Vegas or New York, you can get anywhere for pretty cheap and, and just get out of your bubble for a little bit. And it doesn't mean you have to change your political view no. or, or your fundamental beliefs. But, you know, I would say just go get lost. Go have a good time. The um, my and uh, again, and you're pointing out it, it, it isn't as expensive as maybe some people perceive it to be. Um, still, I'm, I'm understanding of the idea that not everybody can just jump on flights every weekend and go, you know, travel in the way that I do. But my advice, not that p- people need life advice from me, my God, but um, I, I think you really benefit from, from leaving home. Um, I want my children to go away to college. My oldest son might even do a year overseas um, because I want him to see the world. I want them to, to be um, – unrestrained by the place where they live because in truth even though we love our neighbors and um, we love our home and we love our air we, I could live anywhere I wanted to including New York City um, my children aren't on a day-to-day basis surrounded by people who think the way that my children's parents think who think the way we want our children to think and so I want them to hey immerse yourself in, in your community but also understand that there's a world bigger than your community, even if a lot of the people around you um, don't recognize that. And so I just think, I know 
personally, I've benefited a lot from traveling around this country. And not just like traveling around this country to stay in a hotel, but like getting out, seeing the city, being around people from different parts of the country. I'd like to think it's made me uh, um, a, a more well-rounded person. I, I feel like it certainly is. Great, there, Gary. That's awesome, man. Thanks so much for your time, and thanks for being a guest. Um, maybe we can have you back sometime I, on another episode. I'd love to do that. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Remember that guitar, that museum in Tennessee. Name played on the glass, brought back 20 melodies. And the scratches on her face told of every time he fell. Singing every story he could tell. And all the stories it could tell. And I bet you it still rings just like a bell. And I hope that we can sit back on a bed and some.